the stretch, and the pitch. Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Season's greetings and welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. I am JP Mosier. And we're here to celebrate the greatest songs in modern music history. We're going to tell you what makes them great, why we think they're awesome, and why you should too. JP, how you doing today, man? Man, I'm doing fantastic. Happy second week of 90s month. Yeah. I'm loving this. Did you know that at 100 miles per hour... The batter has 0.396 seconds to process the pitch. Wow. It takes the human being longer to blink than it does. That's crazy at 100 miles per hour. Fastest recorded fastball. Do you know who threw it? Aroldis Chapman? Aroldis Chapman. Boom. Boom. Rob, that wasn't even... five or something? 105. Nailed it as a red... Okay, Rob, that was impressive. Thank you very much. There was rumored that Nolan Ryan hit 108, but the reason it's rumored, he got clocked at 100, but the clock was 10 feet from home plate. So they used, based on if it was in the same positioning of where Chapman's was, that would have been about 108. However, the cool thing, the fact that I think is mesmerizing about that Nolan Ryan fact, is he threw that pitch in the ninth inning. So somehow he was getting stronger. And like us, we're getting stronger (laughs) as we go. We are the fastball of podcasts. uh, Absolutely. And speaking of fastballs, Rob, tell them what we're talking about. Well, hey, we're talking about fastball. There we go. I mean, come on. Uh, We're talking about, uh, as a matter of fact, I guess we're getting spring training is happening right now. It's wonderful. It's It's right. It's March. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Mm. Move aside Christmas. That's right. Baseball season is the (laughs) doggone most wonderful time of the year. The things that give us the chills, you know, are, my goodness. I'm going to tell you before I hit, since we we brought up, you brought up our oldest Chapman. I did. Uh, I saw him pitch once. Really? As a lookout? As no, uh, in uh, in the majors. Yeah, as a red. Um, he played against the Braves and I went, to, I was at the Braves game and, um, so he comes into the game and it, you know, it's a full stadium full of people. And I've never had a moment like this in the stadium where, uh, his first pitch pops one Oh one on the gun and the whole crowd goes, Ooh, <laughs> in like, enemy territory. Yeah. It's like 30,000 people, yeah. Braves fans yeah. even going, Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> like yeah, just cool. appreciation for a second. That's of the, awesome. You know, and then I think he went 103 on the next pitch. Goodness gracious. And uh, everyone's like, holy cow, what is this? Jeez Louise. For those of y'all that have never seen how fast that is, like uh, I played on a really uh, competitive high school baseball team like we were good. And we had three people that threw in the 80s. One guy threw 88. It's freaking scary. Yeah. Like at 88, I was scared. Like yeah. in the box. Like I can't imagine seeing 101 coming at you. No, terrifying. And the, they say that the, they say that the, uh, and of course, this is what baseball people say, but the, that the single hardest thing to do in professional sports is to hit a hundred mile an hour fastball, or to, or to hit a fastball. Period. A ninety mile an hour fastball sure. is, you know, but it whatever. But they say that that is the single most taken taken all things into consideration. You know, the hand eye coordination, the reaction time, all that stuff, and the accuracy of to be able to put a fastball in play is the single hardest thing in professional sports. And I, I don't know for sure, but... The way they do it no! is quite impressive. Rob, right. tell them what song we're talking That's about. Right, we gonna... tried two segues, yep. neither of which have landed. <laughs> no. You got to started talking about baseball. I know I just can't. Okay. This is The Way by Fastball.
the way by Fastball. One of the funnest songs oh, man. of the 1990s. Great song to learn if you're just learning drums, too. It's pretty <laughs> right? straight, and it's well, it feels good. Yeah, it's a, a just a just a wonderful song. I love it so much. I've been waiting a long time for us to cover this song, uh, and I'm so glad we're finally getting to it. That is from the 1998 album, All the Pain Money Can Buy, which is a great album God, title. so good. Really good. I love it. Written by Tony Scalzo, uh, sort of, I guess you would call him co-lead singer of Fastball, right? He uh, uh, handles... Uh, uh, some of it, and uh, the guitarist uh, does some of the rest. Miles does Sorry, some too. Miles. And y'all hang around for the end because we got a few minutes with Tony Scalzo. Kaboom. You guys are going to love it. He's the writer of the song. He's the voice you hear on the song. He is the bass player of uh, Fastball. And, uh, we'll and talk keyboards. More. And for those keyboards. of y'all that are playing, air, right. I was playing air drums, as I mentioned. Rob went alternated between air air piano keyboard yeah. in the right hand and then full-on guitar in it both. Is. It is. And that's his uh, Casio keyboard that you're hearing on the recording. <laughs> it's amazing. L- literally, that's his, his Casio keyboard. Tony's Tony's Casio from home. Uh, I love that. Uh, is, this song hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100, number one on the Billboard Modern Rock Tracks, adult alternative songs, and a, alternative airplay, where it stayed for seven consecutive weeks. It went number two on the Billboard Adult Top 40, number four on the Mainstream Top 40, number five on the U.S. Radio Songs, and number one in Canada. Ladies and gentlemen, this was a big song. This song, uh, I mean, you still hear this on the radio a lot. You know, this is a this is one of those songs that everybody just knows. Yeah, I feel like it maybe doesn't get the. I don't know if the credit is the word I'm looking for, but it you know maybe doesn't get the awareness that you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's sort of that like um, you're talking about like players in the NBA who should be mentioned in the upper echelon. You know what I mean? But somehow get left out of the conversation. That's good. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, the Robert Ories of the world. Ah, you know great what I mean? reference. That kind of thing. We got to do a baseball reference. We got to tie it in. Who is in baseball? Yeah, who's the... Chris Sabo. Chris... Since we're going red. Okay, okay. Like, great player. Yeah. You know, but not not mentioned as one of the greatest all time, but right. definite role player in what they did, and yeah. still bigger than they underrated, right? underrated. Like there people go. still know it, yeah. But somehow it remains underrated. Yeah, Eric Davis, Barry yeah. Larkin, anybody Boom. from that red yeah. team. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was nominated for a 1999 Grammy for best rock performance by a duo or group with vocal, uh, which was won by Pink by Aerosmith. Okay, Pink is my favorite. That's the one. Crayon. Um, and uh, it was also nominated. By uh, for best long form music video for their EPK, their electronic press kit called "They Wanted the Highway," um, and it's a really cool thing. You can actually watch the whole thing on YouTube, um, and it's just sort of about uh, sort uh, life as a band, you know, coming up and their stuff is is dropping and um, you know that kind of thing. Uh, Lou Reed actually won that uh, that year for his uh, long form video "Rock and Roll Heart." It is number 94 on the VH1 Greatest Songs of the 90s list, uh, sandwiched between This Is How We Do It and Stay by Lisa Lowe. Okay, that's great company. The 90s that, was awesome. That's all right. That's Come wonderful. It's so and to good. land in the 90s, in the 90s, that's where you want to be. You don't want to be <laughs> 1 through 10. You want to be in the 90s on the 90s. That's awesome. I didn't even think about that. Uh, the video for this song was directed by Mick G. You see this? Uh, A.K.A. Joseph McGinty Nickel, who also did videos for Smash Mouth and Sugar Ray around the same time, but who you probably know as a film director. He went on to direct big-budget movies like Terminator Salvation and Charlie's Angels, okay. uh, and more recently stuff like I Feel Pretty and Rim of the World. Okay. So uh, he's a, he, a legit you know, director, but he was um, doing some regional direction for music videos you know, at the time. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the song. It is inspired by a true story with a sad ending. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit to uh, Tony Scalzo about that 
coming up at the end of the episode. Leela and Raymond Howard. That's right. Um, and at the time he wrote it, Tony didn't know the real life ending. Um, and we'll kind of let him tell it. But the real story is that a couple left home to go to a festival in a nearby Texas town. Uh, the woman having the woman having Alzheimer's and the man recently having had brain surgery. And they were later found in a ravine, sadly, hundreds of miles away from where they intended to go. Um, Tony's imagining of the story was a little more lighthearted and free that they were just sort of going on an, an early love type adventure, like that they had been together for a long time, but they decided, Oh, let's just do it like the old days and just go be free and, you know, and leave the roadmap behind. Uh, and who cares where we go as long as I'm with you, that kind of thing. Um, and of course he, he finished the song before they found out what had happened to this couple. And, and, you know, it's just a, it's one of those things where, Something in real life can prompt you to write something, mm-hmm. but you don't have to follow that. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be a documentary. Yeah. You know what I mean? It could just be a story that got prompted by something in real life. and that Triggered awesome. something. Yeah. Uh, it was unreleased as a single. Did you know this? Unreleased no. as a single in hopes that it would drive more album sales. Um, okay, that people go buy the whole project exactly. versus going out and buying the yes. single. Single if, CDs at that time were a pretty big deal. Yeah. You could buy, I remember, you know, I had a ton of just single CDs, which prob- that, that that logic makes sense, I yeah. guess. Yeah, sure, a good single CD. You know, you would get a a, a, a single CD. They were like three forty nine or something mm-hmm. like yeah, that. Yeah, it's good. Uh, and uh, they would come in a little, you know, a different cardboard, kind of packages. It'd be cardboard versus yeah. your traditional um, plastic, yeah. harder plastic CD. And it would have the single it would have maybe the album version if there was an extended version or something. It Although, might have a remix. I am holding the All the Pain Money Can Buy, and that was a nickel well spent there at McKay's. Wow. How about that? Five cents for this whole album. Five cents. That's a win. Man. I, you know, we've talked about it before, but if you live in eastern or or middle Tennessee, McKay's is Support like your local your McKay. best friend. Go it's, to McKay's. It's wonderful. Seriously. McKay's, Mr. McKay. Sponsor us. If you're out there listening. <laughs> Thanks for what you do. That's right. Yes. Thanks for your service to the American Thanks for your ministry. Because there are other like used bookstores and used music stores. There are no, none of them like McKay's. That's good. There is nothing in this world like McKay's used books and CDs. You can get anything you need there. We were about to get a sponsorship with some other used. <laughs> That's right. Half Price Books was on the fence. They were. And then and they're, they're like, ah, that, yeah. that fastball episode. Yeah. Uh, the first verse of this song, as you heard, is done with a kind of a, a, a telephone or small radio EQ. Um, EQ is an equalizer, and it's an effect where you can um, accentuate or, or, or uh, turn down certain sets of frequencies, bands of frequencies. You know the three songs that they scan through? I know there's a – let's see. Okay, so at the very beginning, you hear the radio, and they, mm. they did that with a literal radio – um, you know, a radio dial. By the way, when do people even know what a radio dial is anymore? <laughs> if you're under probably 33, yeah, I'll it. say you might not even know what a radio dial is. But in cars and on actual, when people just had radios in their house, there was, you know, a dial. One that was for volume. Like a knob. And one controlled this little... Uh, stick that would move up and down this set of numbers, and the numbers indicated the the frequency that you were tuning into. And if you're trying to get to ninety three nine, and you you know you might land around ninety three seven yeah. or something, but it's close enough where you can make out. You're like, and it's supposed to be my country station. I'm almost right there. Why is it Michael Bolton? Who bumped the clicker? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, but so yeah, they would just turn it up, and if you you know it would go. <laughs> <It's> Michael <laughs> Bolton. That's good. I don't know. Uh, so I actually do know the song. Do you want to tell us? Yeah, uh, Jewel Foolish Games. Yep. Roy Orbison's You Got It yep. and Madonna's Vogue. Yeah, that's the one I have a hard time picking out. My ear, I don't, I don't, can't hear. I haven't listened to it, I guess, closely enough, enough times to catch Vogue, but apparently it's in there somewhere. And then a couple of you hear a couple of radio, you know, advertisements DJs. or whatever. But they literally just brought in a radio and mic'd it up. That's not, 
you know, studio trickery. There was no purpose behind those songs being in there. They're not making a statement or somehow connected. I do wonder, though, um, how that worked if, if they had to end up paying any sort any of royalty. Any kind of royalty, Because yeah. those are sound recordings. Mm-hmm. Those, that's not just... You and know, those are big name artists, big name hits. You know, it's and it's especially yeah. I'm thinking Jewel Foolish Games in the '90s. That was new. What, like, yeah, I mean that was still that was you know that was still fresh. Uh, so I wonder how that how that sort of worked out. We should have asked Tony about that, but oh well. We're, we were asking other important. We're things. professionals. <laughs> um, so yeah, the first verse is done with this sort of like telephone uh, EQ that limits the audio spectrum you hear, and it sounds really thin. Uh, purposefully until the second verse kicks in. And that's when you get the full bass and drums and range of sound, you know, when the, you hear the full live instruments kick in. Um, but that's just done in, in post-production. They were would have re- recorded probably with full tone. And then you just turn down things in the EQ to make it sound like, you know, you're listening through a, a thinner, you know, a smaller speaker mm-hmm. or that's something good. like that. So that's how you get that kind of radio sound. A little bit about the album, um, and then we'll meet the band. And I got a little music theory, uh, a little music yeah. theory on some on a just straight ahead rock and roll song. It's That's nice. good. Yeah, according to songfacts.com, and I'm just going to read this directly because it puts it so well. The group was signed to a major label, Hollywood Records, owned by Disney, and in 1996 it released their debut, "Make Your Mama Proud." It tanked in part because the label was in disarray and gave it little promotional support. This story usually ends with the band getting dropped, but there was so much turnover at Hollywood Records that there was nobody to drop them, and they got to record a second album in the summer of 1997. Once the album was recorded, there was no guarantee it would be released. Uh, One of the reps at the record company felt very strongly about the way and took it to radio stations, which got lots of positive feedback from listeners when they played it. The song was clearly a hit, and about six weeks later, the album was released. So everybody's on the fence. Um... And there's such turmoil at the, you know, at the label that they don't even know, are we going to get to do this anymore? And, uh, and at this time, they're, this is their second album, but they were still holding down jobs at home. I think Tony talks a little bit about how he was working at a bagel factory, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. And so then some record exec, God bless him, you know, or her, um, starts taking it to radio stations and then radio drives them to end up, okay, yeah, let's go ahead and release this album and see what happens. It's like your boss isn't there, so it's like, well, we'll just keep going to work till somebody fires us, yeah. and, whatnot, and we'll just keep going in, <laughs> exactly. keep showing up, and what do you know? Bam! Yeah, bam. Let's play a little bit of the other hit, if you would, off that, okay. which is Out of My Head. Yeah. Um, this is one that uh, was pretty big all over my radio station um, yeah. when I was when I was uh, growing up in this time frame, later high school years for me and Rob. It feels good. Take a listen. This is Out of My Head. I feel like this is Tony Scalzo being Paul McCartney. Sometimes I feel like I am drunk behind the wheel. Great melody. The wheel of possibility, however it may roll. Give it a spin, see if you can somehow factor in. That's so good. You know there's always more than one way to say exactly what you mean to say. Was I out of my head or was I out of my mind? How could I have ever been so blind? I was waiting for an indication. I love the way he puts that all together. Yeah. Doesn't take the breath. Don't matter what I say, only what I do. I never mean to do bad things to you. So quiet, but I finally woke up. Sad and it's time you spoke up too. I swear that's 
swear that's him being that's him being McCartney. That's yeah. He's like, what effects? Just yeah. let me take my guitar and plug it into the board. Okay, so I don't even need an amp. Funny you should say that. I was going to save this for Meet the Band, um, but you know what? Why don't we start? And I'll drop in I'll a miles. You, no, I'll just say the names, and you can get, throw some band facts. You can help me on this. This will be great. Let's okay. meet the band. Hey, let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey, mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the band. Hey! All right, guys, we're going to meet the band, and I'm going to uh, maybe let Rob carry a little bit of the meet the band section on this. Okay. This is normally me, but I'm just going to throw <sighs> some names and what stretch. they did, and Rob's going to throw out some cool facts. From the bullpen. We, there we go. We're bringing, in. In, uh, we're bringing in Chapman. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right, uh, on vocals, bass, guitar, keyboards, and guitar, Tony Scalzo. And uh, if you want to sing his name, you got to sing it. It's great. Tony Scalzo, Tony Scalzo. Yes. And y'all will find out why later when yeah. we chat with him. Right. But uh, yeah, we'll Tony play, Scalzo. We'll play you the clip. Uh, I, he had a great quote actually on their, their latest album, 2019's The Help Machine, which is really enjoyable. He said, We had a great time in the studio, and the whole thing was a very creative experience. Uh, when Fastball started out, we were almost like two different bands. So, like on this album, it's still you would have Tony songs and you would have Miles songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said uh, Miles and I tended to be careful to keep our hands off of each other's songs, but now we just view them all as Fastball songs, and we generally feel free to mess with them, and it works better that way. That they've become more collaborative over the years, which is often the opposite of what you find. That bands yeah. become less collab. You know, yeah, we and- used to do everything together, but now I'm going to do my songs this yeah. way, and this is the way it's going to be. That's and that, of course, is you know, I mean, I, I use the Beatles for everything, but they're a great example for so many things. That's what you know. At the beginning, everything was Lennon and McCartney, Lennon and McCartney, Lennon and McCartney, and then at the end, it was credited Lennon and McCartney. But they were just writing separately and give, you know sharing credit. Um, so I, I think it's great that over you know twenty five years uh, at, at this point they've become just more collaborative and found that it it really does work better that way. And we can really be more of who we want to be as a band. By, That's good. You know, all it's a good together. episode to talk about it because I normally do the meet the band section, and yeah. here we are collaborating. Wow. Funny that that happened that us. way. Look at us. Here we are. Um, you got anything else on Tony you want to say? That's good. Keep moving. You're rocking. I I, like this. I just love multi-instrumentalist. He's playing bass. He's playing keys. He plays guitar. Uh, really smart guy too. I, you know, we'll, we'll talk to him a little bit about his, his classical, uh, training. And I mean, the guy really knows what he's doing. Really good solo project too. I'll have you guys make sure you go out and pick up my favorite year. It's really good. So we'll talk to him a little bit about that on the interview, but it's good. Yeah. Uh, on to guitarist. Uh, on guitar and vocals, Miles. I'm going to probably botch his last name. Let's go with Zuniga. Yes. Okay. Nailed perfect. it. Took a, took a shot. Nailed uh, it. Rob, give me some facts. This is wonderful. Okay. So th- this is what uh, I lit up when you when you were talking about just let me rip because uh, I, I watched a really funny episode of a show called Gear Masters on YouTube, um, which Miles was on. And <clears throat> he's basically like, I don't care about gear at all. Um, Which is rare for a guitar player. Uh, extremely rare, right? Um, and for and for somebody who's been playing as long as he has, but he's like, I don't even know how many speakers are in my amp. Whoa! Like he, to that cow. degree, he doesn't even care. Oh my goodness! Uh, he said he just wants to pick up a guitar and turn on his tube screamer and go. He said if he walks into a show and the, and the guitarist has a full rack of gear, he knows instantly he's probably not going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I just sort of, you know, whatever. Just keep it simple. He's like, let's unhook all that and just go one chord into amp. Yeah, seriously. He had a, like a um, a Fender. He had two amps on stage because they had a touring guitarist with him. One was a Vox AC30 AC or AC15, mm-hmm. uh, and the other was a Fender. Um, oh, gosh. It was one of the old tweed ones. Um, you know, it's like a, a – what is it called? Like a Deluxe, Deluxe or something or a DeVille or something, you know. Um 
And, uh, but he's like, I don't even know if this is one speaker or two, whatever. I just, you know, whatever, play it. Um, he plays a, he, and he, he had a little tiny, he's like, it's so funny because you see these, these gear shows and it's like, you know, here's my onstage rig and this fuels my backstage rig, mm-hmm. which is a whole big, you know, two racks full of stuff. Um, you know, and it's, this Songs is just a preset. I just hit this button to, for this song. Yeah. He's literally like, I could do a show with this pedal and a tuner. That's That's pretty much all I use. He had three distortion pedals. He's like, they all do the same thing. He's like, I really only only need the green one. Uh, And he's got he's got a tuner. And I think he had um, uh, what was the other thing he had? Maybe I don't even think he had like a delay. It it was just like it's so basic. Uh It was on like a it was on one of those pedal boards that's like barely bigger than your phone. You know. Um, So he was like, I just get him and play rock and roll. I don't know. You know, whatever. Um, He he plays. He's like, this is my tone. Yeah. And this is my solo. Yeah. And that's it. Just back and forth. That's it. Um, he, uh, on the video for this, and it sounds like in the recording, it sounds like truly that's what he's playing, a Gretsch hollow body. That makes sense. Uh, with a single cutaway uh, in the video and, is, and in the video for Out of My Head, he's playing that same guitar. Um, I'm not exactly sure which model because I couldn't, I couldn't make it out, but, um, but that does fit the lovely sound of the guitar on this track. I love the sound, the thin, distorted sound on the verses that's doing the arpeggios, boom, 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 mm-hmm. right? Um, and then the big chunky sound is maybe something else, um, <clears throat> but uh, it might not be. It could just be a different setting on that same guitar. And then the clean tone of the solo. It's deep, me, too. Like yeah. At the beginning, it's the lower Listen register. Listen to this sort of like, it's kind of a Brian Setzer-y rockabilly. Oh, that's good. That's good. You know what I mean? I when like I think that. of Gretsch guitars, I think Brian, Brian Setzer the yeah. first. And, I, and that's visually. Atkins, I guess, but. Well, Brian Setzer visually, I just see him yeah. holding a Gretsch. Like, yeah, that's, a big orange, you know, Garfield orange Gretsch. Or seafoam green. There, oh, yes. Uh, yes, please. Let's hear a little bit of this uh, solo from Miles Zuniga. Dick Dale, eat your heart out. Yeah. Anyone can see the That's so oh, good. great. And then it just stops. And on the video... There's a spot where somebody's running and they're like jumping between buildings, that kind of thing, and they they extend that pause before that chorus, and so it's you get this whole, and you see them they're up in the air, suspended, moving slowly, cool. slowly, 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 and then you get Tony's voice. Anyone could see the boom, and they land. It's great. It's beautiful. Uh, I don't know why they decided to do that, but it's visually it just creates a, a really nice moment. Anyway, so I think that is a Gretsch uh, single cutaway hollow body on that. So that is guitarist Miles Zuniga. Um, on drums. Yeah. Joey Sheffield. Joey. Sheffield is a great name That's for a drummer. That's where I was going to go. That was okay. my fact. That's a good name for a drummer. Yeah. Shuffle. It's, it's Shuffle. It's Sheffield. Yeah. It's Joey. Yes. I shuffle in my field. You know, he's he, my field is shuffling a little. <laughs> That's good. It's, That's I, good. I, I don't know. And I talked about how this song is a, gr- a great song when you're uh, just starting to learn drums because it's, it's forward and it's pretty straight on yep. um, and it's fun. So yeah. good job, Joey. He's got one of these uh, one of these fills too that we've talked about before. I don't know if I can just pluck it from the song, but we talked about it. Oh gosh! All the way back when we were talking about Motown, what episode was that? Um, that would have ain't been too proud to ain't beg. too proud Temptations. to beg. Temptation. Yeah. This sort of that sort of fill that we we really went in deep on that one fill, uh, and he gives gives me some of that. I, I love that. Um, just good solid, you know, drum playing. I mean, there's nothing. There's no substitute for a good solid drummer. Man, it's so true. Um, he's not doing too much. He's doing just enough. It's it's. 
Beautiful. Love it. But just a little bit more of the band before I know we got a I know we got a game. So uh, I want to do a little bit more on the band though. According to Wikipedia, when they first started out, the band tried out several names such as Star 69, Magneto, Magneto USA, my personal favorite. Ed Clark's, Ed Clark's Business, Business Bible. Bible and Starchy. Yeah, and Starchy. <laughs> uh, before finally deciding to adopt the name Fastball. Um, they were nominated for the 1998 MTV Best New Artist in a Video Award, uh, which is now just the Best New Artist Award. And listen to how precisely 1998 this nominee list is. Did you see this? Uh-uh. Okay. This really tells you a lot about what was going on musically and where we were in 1998. The nominees for the Best New Artist in 1998 were The Way by Fastball, Feel So Good by Mace, Tub Thumping by Chumbawamba, Zoot Suit Riot by Cherry Poppin' Daddies, and your winner was Torn by Natalie Imbruglia. I mean, that is a very eclectic Absolutely. Feel, but it gives you a feel for <laughs> And I've heard the guys from Fastball talk about this. They... um you know, they they said that basically there was a lot going on and there were a lot of sort of open avenues musically at the time. And they think if that hadn't been the case, um, you know, uh, uh, rock music was trying to find its way out of uh, like grunge. New metal wasn't quite hitting yet. It was about to. It was on the cusp. Um, but it was sort of this in-between thing where we don't know what the next popular rock genre really is going to be. Um and a lot of new stuff. Hip hop is taking over as one of the most popular uh, things. You know what I mean? And so there was just a lot of room for creativity before record labels went, oh, this is the thing now? Okay, we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, And yep. so they're f- forcing everything toward that. And so they, they uh, maintain that they were sort of a beneficiary of that. They think that if that had not been the case, then, then the popularity of this song might not have happened. It, it was the choose your own adventure book of the music era. It was. Like you could pick any way you want to go. And we chose new metal. <laughs> we chose Limp Biscuit. You know, <laughs> yeah. out of all this, That's we true. chose... I don't really understand why that happened. We ended up with Kid Rock. I don't. I don't really know uh, what, what what to say about that. Um, but yeah, what a what a list, man! Fastball, Mace, Chumbawamba, Cherry Pop, and Daddies. I can't even. I can't even believe that they were a thing. But do you remember? I mean, when people were going to swing dances, you remember in the yeah. late 1990s when we had friends that were dressing up like a sock hop uh-huh. and going to swing dances. Yeah. It was wild, and guys were wearing the big zoot suits with the. I mean, that was a crazy time, dude. You want to talk about uh, Brian Setzer, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Brian Setzer, who was, uh, you know, um, by some accounts would have been considered a has been by that point. He was that dude from the Stray Cats in the eighties. He was always old. Yeah, like when he started, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's been old forever, just yeah. playing. But. And then he comes and hits jump jive and whale, and it explodes. Yeah, why? Why did that happen? We just we were aimless. We didn't have we needed corn to come and show us the way. You know? How many times have you said the way in this episode? <laughs> keeps coming back. Now, I know you got a game. Let's do it. Let's play Stump the Genius. All right. Stump the genius. Stump the genius. Stump the genius. It's time to stump the genius. Jump up and take your part. I take your part. All right, guys, we're gonna play Stump the Genius. Um, I've kind of deterred the past couple. Um, this is another non-musical one. Oh, okay. So All right. we, we had uh, Stump the Genius. Uh, most of these are music-based. Last week I did, or two weeks ago, I did one on cats. Cats. Cartoon cats. Um, but since we're talking baseball, since we're talking fastball. Okay. Um, okay. All right. We're, we're going to have to stick in this, in this oh, vein. I'm excited. You're going to be great at this. I, um, we're going to go most strikeouts in baseball history. Mike Clevenger. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> I mean pitchers. Okay. Not right. the batter. <laughs> so I've got the top ten. 
I'm going to bet that you can get five. I'm, I'm cheering for, I bet you can get five of them. You're going to just name ten pitchers that you think are in the top ten. Okay. If that makes sense. Like, okay. If so you, you get one, ten. that's okay. a check. If you miss one, that's off. Um, I think you'll get five. I'll give you the win if you get six. Ooh. And I get the win if you get four. Okay. Right, I think I you'll get five. I think that's where I think you're going to hit exactly five. Okay. So let's see how we do. He's going to name ten pitchers. Most strikeouts in Major League Baseball history. Okay, first, Nolan and Ryan. Nolan Ryan, one. Here, I'll bedding. Okay. Good job. Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson, number two. Um, how about a little... Pedro Martinez? Pedro Martinez, not on the list. Mm, X, so we got X. one X. Duck sound. Um, so I'm trying to think strikeout pitchers. Like, Maddox, not a strikeout pitcher. Um Right? I mean, he pitched a I'm going to give mark. you Maddox. Okay, Maddox is? He, okay, he is number 10. Barely okay, made wow. it, but he's in. Number 10. Okay. So, good job. Three. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think who else. Who else? It's just strikeouts. It's going to be a starter. Um, Smoltz, is, is he on that list? Smoltz did not quite make the list. Okay, all right. So, that's that's a um, miss there. Three. I think you'll get two. I, I would bet you would get two more. If not. But see, now I'm under the pressure. And I'm not because you don't like, want to miss one. I, you don't yes, want to exactly. waste one. I, d- I don't feel like I have my full faculties at play here. Give me. Um, it's a, this is a tougher one. I, okay, I'm trying to tougher think list. like older. It, think pitchers. older. Yeah, yeah, you think older. Um, like maybe Bob Gibson. Bob Gibson did not make the list. Wow. But that's a good era. There's wow. just so many good pitchers. That's what makes this tough. Yeah. Um, so you've guessed it. You're three and three. Oh boy. So you got four more guesses left. I mean, this shouldn't be hard. Top it's, ten most strikeouts in MLB history. I'll give you a hint. One just recently passed, and we both love him. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, Don Sutton? Don Sutton. Okay. Boom. I'm okay. Give you wow. That I'm surprised he's Number on Number seven on the list. Man. Wow. Okay. Is there another Brave on the list at all? There is another Brave on on the list. Okay. But so, it's an old school Brave. Yeah, I was going to say, then it's got to be almost Warren but, Spawn. Spawn is not on the list. Mm. Um, that uh, older school than that. Gaylord Perry. Oh wow! So okay, I don't okay. know if you would have gotten really him, so. Gaylord Perry Gaylord is in Perry. the top. Okay, all right. Wow. Um, so we got we we've, we've got eight guesses. Uh, four and four. I'll give you two more guesses. Jeez, we'll, I don't know. Are are any of them from from one the, of them is semi newer? Think Roger Clemens. Roger Clemens. Okay, there we go. Right. That's the one I thought you'd get. So those okay. are the five. That I thought you would get. Okay. Um, you probably wouldn't have got Perry, no. so I'll scratch him off. Yeah. You can get one more guess, and then I'll tell you the others. The all others right. are, are Give tougher. Give me a, maybe a decade or an era. They're all varied. Okay. So, like, okay. the, last, the last four are all in different, I mean, kind of eras. Okay. Nobody newer than the, than the late 80s. Okay. All right. Um, is one of them... I don't think this is right. One of them's not Oral Hershiser. One of them's not Hershiser. Okay. So the one you missed, number four is Steve Carlton. Oh. Number mm. five, Burt Blylevin. Wow. I wouldn't have gotten that ever. No. Number six, Tom Seaver. I might oh, have eventually course. got there. It, and yes. the other one that you didn't get was Walter Johnson. So oh, so it's really old but school. But you got okay. five. You got exactly where I thought you would well, land. Yes, so yeah. no winner or loser. Okay. We, picked, we picked right on. Another fun round of Stump the Genius. Hope no. you guys enjoyed A lot of baseball this episode. A lot of baseball. Hope you baseball fans. You Anybody had to expect that, it. Yeah, you had to expect it Knowing with this. Us. So don't be mad if you are not a baseball fan. You just love the band Fastball. Yeah. Because uh, we had to do some baseball. We've been wanting to do that for a bit. That's so. right. Uh, got a couple of covers. Okay. Um, and then uh, I and think then we'll, let's hang out with we'll Tony. Tony. Yeah. Um, here's a cover by Gigi. I think this is pronounced D'Agostino. It's okay. D. Uh, um, Comma. What do you call it? Or, or, um, uh, ac- accent above. What is that called? Apostrophe. Apostrophe. Thank you. D. 
apostrophe Agostino, which I think is D'Agostino. Um, so this is a cover. This is, you're going to hate this. It's like, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a EDM. Oh yeah. I hate it already. It's awful. Yeah. I'm good. Next. It's like the dance club remix. Yeah. Um, and, uh, this one I almost don't even want to play. Apologetics has a cover. Oh, that's um, okay. I know, love these guys. Rob hates the apologetics. He doesn't hate them. I don't just, hate them. I just always wish their music was better quality. Um, <laughs> I, I like them. From their album, uh, Biblical Graffiti, from 1999. <laughs> it's called Fast Paul, about the Apostle <laughs> Paul. Yeah, here's a little bit of that. Let's see. <laughs> Like, I don't even really think it's funny. That's They're going for kind of funny. Anyway, listen, Christian parody is just a, a minefield of, it's so hard to make good Christian parody, right? Because <laughs> you are the you don't want to disrespect the subject material. Yes. Um, and so to make something that is good is really difficult without being, you know, uh, so whatever. <laughs> Shouts out to apologetics, but... <laughs> To to keep to keep with baseball, that's a swing and a miss. Yeah, for sure. That's good. Um, I do have a little theory that I want to get to before we let's do it. Um, before we talk to Tony, okay. Um, let's go back here. We're in the key of A, a major. major. If you're writing it out on a piece of paper, we're in the key of A major, uh, the key signature of A major, okay. Um, but the verses are in the relative F sharp minor, um, and that's where you hear you know this section. If you want to hear the difference. Um, Here's the verses in F sharp minor. Here we go. Here's this. This is the six. That's your F sharp. F sharp minor. And then your your verse. I mean your chorus is in A major, which is the bigger, happier. I don't really know without getting into a lot of things how to explain that if you don't hear it. Um, but. The uh, the verse throws a little kink in the mix that is really sweet, okay? And I want to get into it. So the chord progression in the verse is F sharp minor, B minor, C sharp 7, and back to an F sharp minor, okay? So if you're thinking F sharp minor, that would be the 1 minor, the 4 minor, the 5, and back to the 1, okay? Um, and this is exactly what you would expect in F sharp minor. Uh, but then the second stanza of the verses begin with an F sharp major chord, Okay, um, let me play it for you. So this is B minor, B minor, B minor, B minor, Z sharp, headed back down to the F sharp. Now we're going to go from minor to major, okay? Then back to the four, the B minor. Okay, or if you're thinking about it in other terms, that would be the the two minor. If you're thinking about it in the key of A, um, so but what's really cool is so it goes to that F sharp major chord, leading to that same B minor as before, but uh, and then back to an, a same uh, F sharp minor. Where were they going with C sharp minor? Ever knowing the F sharp minor before setting up the chorus in A major with an E chord. But what I want to point out about that change is that it's the change in melody there really indicates. Uh, a four-bar key change rather than just a chord change, okay? Uh, let me explain. The melody on an exit to eternal summer slacking, that, right, that melody line, or they just drove off and left it all behind them, it doesn't cover the third scale degree in the key of F major or F minor. 
You mean F sharp major? Uh, F sharp major, yes, mm-hmm. or F sharp minor, sorry. But what it does is imply to us that we are now in the actual key of B minor, with the F sharp major chord acting as the five as a chord. Five. Wow, that's so weird. The same way the C sharp chord was setting up the F sharp minor chord a moment prior, because that melody outlines a B natural minor scale. But, so that would be the five. But, uh, six, flat six. Five, four, three, two, one in B minor. Okay, that's what you're actually getting with the melody. So you could argue that this song is in three keys. And sure, <laughs> you can make yes, you can make that argument. Um, so uh, the, the the giveaway is that first note of the word eternal. Uh, exit two E, right? Eternal, which is a flat two if we're in F sharp. That doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> so it's a flat six in B minor, which is then followed by a five, four, three, two, one walk down melodically. So in other words, if I took all the rest of the chords out of this song. Um, and just played you that one line, you would tell me we're in B minor, and you would be right. Uh, but in this case, it's like we're borrowing the key of B minor for a moment to affect an emotional change. For the first two chords. In the key of the first two chords of the second half. Of the half. second half of the verse. Yes. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. So it's, it's really interesting, and I love it. And I think it's one of the things that keeps this song interesting and and fresh feeling after even after all this time is it's it's got that interesting thing you know it doesn't get old Mm -hmm. um you know it it just it's got this little thing that you look forward to i know i do every Mm -hmm. time uh and this song by the way is super fun to try and sing along in harmony if you (laughs) just pick a harmony part and sing along with tony on the on the verses and the and the chorus too, um, you know the chorus is just straight ahead rock and roll. You know it's it's Beatlesque esque as as much as that word gets overused. Um, and it's funny that we talked about this in the, before we even started recording the episode. I was like, so Rob, you pick up and play it. You play with a capo on the second fret and play in G because that's how I play it. Mm-hmm. And Rob's like, no way, like I'm always going to play this in open A. And now that I think about it that way, like that that makes perfect sense because of the low E that you'll get in there yeah. um but f- the way i've always played this is i've capoed two and gone a e minor a minor mm. kind of that way yeah but it's just a it's just a different way to look at it and think yeah. about it huh? yeah so uh anyway i just love this song and it's it's uh i after talking to tony you know i was just really impressed with his musicality mm-hmm. you know you don't always know sometimes you'll talk to somebody that wrote one of the i remember being shocked when we talked to billy vera back in season two um you know, I made a comment about something uh, theoretical, um, and he was like, "Yeah, whatever." You know, uh, he was like, well, "I didn't really pay attention to that." And I'm like, "How, how do you not? How, how do you not think about this this way?" You know, but Tony is one of those guys that he's like, I know exactly every note that's happening. Mm-hmm. I know what this is called in classical theory. Yeah. Um. And 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 I. This is all thoughtfully done. You know what I mean? None of this is a mistake. I can give None you notes. I can is... give you roots. I can give you whatever you need. Yeah, exactly. It's all None of this is, is me just, you know, being a rock and roller. Um, you know, I know I know every moving part to this song. And so uh, I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Why don't we kick it over to our interview with Tony Scalzo, uh, lead singer uh, of this song, The Way, for Fastball, bass player, musician extraordinaire. You're going to love him. Uh, in the meantime, don't forget to follow us on socials, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Great Song Pod. You can be a part of the Facebook group. We have a lot of fun at Great Songs and the Great People Who Love Them Greatly, which is just facebook.com slash groups slash Great Song Pod. And if you want to go the extra mile and support us on Patreon, you can always do that at patreon.com slash, you guessed it, Great Song Pod. Pick up a shirt, Big Cartel. Yeah, bigcartel.com slash Great Song Pod, or just go to greatsongpodcast.com, and you can uh, hopefully get to everything from there as well. 
Uh, thank you to everybody who's listening. Thank you so much for everyone who supports the show, uh, who tunes in every week, who sends us notes. We love getting messages from you guys on Instagram or Facebook. Um, it just really makes our day to be able to interact with you. So please continue to send us those. If you, if the question is, should I, the answer is yes. <laughs> always, always reach out and just say, Hey, say, Hey, that episode sucked. It's all uh, right. It's communication. Tell us we were, tell us we were wrong about our opinions on Chicago. <laughs> uh, anything you want to tell us, we want to hear from you. We're not afraid of your questions. We're not afraid of your comments. So, uh, yeah, let us know. Check us out. Online or on Patreon. Uh, if you too, get some... too much baseball. <laughs> yeah, too much baseball, guys. Come on. Come on. It's not it's fastball. It's just the song. Uh, okay. Anyway, why don't we kick it to our interview with Tony Scalzo, and we'll see you guys at the end. This is the Great Song Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, as promised, we are here with Tony Scalzo, lead singer of Fastball, writer of The Way, uh, purveyor of all things musical, and uh, we're so appreciative <laughs> of uh, Tony. Thanks for your time today. Thanks for joining us. We're so glad to have you, man. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate the time. Absolutely. Let's let's start with this. Uh, this is, I'm sure, the first question that you've probably answered fifteen thousand times. So you can make up a lie if you want to. But uh, let's start with this. Our our audience is going to want to know. For such a feel good song, the backstory to the way is a bit morbid. Uh, can you kind of fill in our listeners as to who 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 is the they that the song is is sort of uh, at least in its inception written about? So. I can be, um, at least, you know, it'll be a little bit vague, but it'll get, you'll get the point. Um, I was kind of interested in a, a newspaper article that had came, come out when, uh, it was 1997, okay? So, in our local paper, there was a story about an elderly couple that had been missing and it had already been like uh you know ten days or so, so you know they hadn't figured it out yet, they didn't know what had happened, but they just know that they were supposed to go somewhere that kind of was a tradition every year um, so they expected them to be there, but they didn't really they never made it there, so they still didn't know where they were after ten days and then so I just started speculating you know on on paper, you know, in a sort of a song lyric way. I was actually trying to write a song lyric, but I didn't know it was going to turn into an actual song, just kind of playing with the idea. And uh, I had already written it by the time the results of, you know, the mystery had come out. And they had driven off way far, and then they got in that auto accident, and the auto accident, you know, ended up being down a, a ravine, you know, that was heavily wooded. So no one ever found them until a, a kid actually found a, he saw that there was a white car down at the bottom of the hill and ended up finding the bodies of the two people. And, you know, so yeah, a little bit morbid, a little bit, um, and weird because I, I had come up with this song, you know, and uh, we didn't know it was going to be a, big song like a hit song and played on the radio as much as it was but you know just that's how i do stuff anyway i mean i don't <clears throat> i don't try to write hit songs and i like the way you said i'm a purveyor of all things musical well <laughs> 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 i would say that i'm you know i purvey music and i also uh but i mean i don't like it's not like i don't look at it as a 
I got to make this product that's going to be super successful and everybody's going to need it. You know what I mean? Um, I do things for me because I I do consider myself an artist. And, um, you know, that's how I go about doing things uh, that are better songs and, and stuff like that. It's just about, does it please me? Does it interest me? Does it keep me, you know... You know, my imagination, uh, does it keep my imagination, you know, going and energized? Yeah. That's for me, that's what art does. When I go to a museum and I look at paintings and sculptures, I'm going there for the, the mental payoff and the actual brain chemical payoff that, you know, you go, whoa, wow, look at that. Or what was this person thinking about when they, you know, when they conceived this, this work? And, you know, and there's, as you know, there's just a, you can't even count how, how much, you know, there is in the art world and the music world. You know, a lot of people, you know, look at life through a micro, uh, you know, through a magnifying glass, you know, it's like the magnifying glass on the skin of the elephant. And they say, well, art is, you know, this, this little bit. And music is this little bit, but it's so vast and there's experimental music and then there's dance music and then there's music that is religious. There's music that keeps people in a state that they want to be in. There's music that helps us relax, music that helps us focus, obviously music that helps us exercise. And for me, if it has any of those extra things, that's fantastic. But my main thing is to try and spark the imagination. And so that's why I would consider myself an artist. Gotcha. Well, the, one of the things that I've, I've um, always kind of thought about fastball is that you guys are one of the first groups that I remember with what I would call for lack of a better term, sort of a modern retro sound uh, to me. And I mean, even the, even the chord progression on the way is not exactly a modern progression, you know what I mean, for 1998. It's, it's really kind of a, it's almost like kind of a cha-cha Latin dance, you know, progression, which was, uh, you know, not the biggest thing in rock and roll in, in 1997, 98. Uh, and I've heard you talk about being kind of hard to pin down stylistically. Um, and so my, what I was going to ask is, was that something that you guys intentionally reached for? But it sounds like it's, it's more about uh, just putting something out into the world and it doesn't really matter if it fits in a mold. Is that, would that be more accurate? I think that last part is accurate. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it fits in a mold or not. Um, molds are limiting and molds make people's creativity fade away because you don't need to create, be creative once you got a mold, you know, we're making this kind of candle from now on. That's the way it is. Right. So, so yeah, in that sense, um, I want to go back to this, the style, the style and the progression, you know, I don't know if I would say that it was similar to anything I would, I've heard that form, which in musical technical terms would be a sort of, it starts with a minor mm-hmm. verse in a minor sort of vibe, minor key. And then the chorus moves to a major, mm-hmm. and that sort of brings things to a sort of happier vibe, right? right? Yeah. And um, I've seen that form mainly, and I, this is really weird because I, I don't know a lot about Italian culture, even though I'm a 
Italian American, but I've heard, and I've been watching a bunch of, because COVID we're hanging out, we're watching things. And I've been watching a lot of Italian films and Italian television um, shows from the past. And I hear that same sort of thing going on in Italian folk songs, Mm. you know? Yeah. When a guy picks up a guitar at a wedding and he starts singing and I hear that. And it's, it's incredible that it's sort of, you know, bled into the deal. Yeah. Without me really knowing it. So so at the beginning of the way you're, you're scanning through these FM stations and it's like Jewel, Roy Orbison, Madonna. It's like, uh, if you could tour with one of them in their prime, who do you pick of the people at the beginning? Uh, I would say Madonna. There we oh, go. We were both wrong. The biggest, we, we the both? biggest audience. <laughs> that's oh, true. That's yes, smart. Sir. Very smart. Just imagine the merch. That's the biggest audience, and that would expose us to the most uh, people. We both, sure. guessed, we both guessed Roy Orbison. And she's Italian. Oh, oh true. okay. Yeah. Double, double whammy there. That's awesome. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about the you're – coming, you're coming to us from Austin, Texas today, uh, and we've never Correct. really on the show talked about – the uh, the Austin, Texas music scene and the art scene in general. Can you tell us a little bit about the task of standing out in what is an extremely eclectic town and culture like Austin, and a little bit about just just the just the arts culture huh. in Austin itself as an as an organism? Okay, I'll, I'm going to tell you straight off that your question's irrelevant. Okay, and the reason it's irrelevant is because it's 2020. Right. And when we were coming up in Austin, it was 1995. Uh Okay. I can't explain how different this city is now than it was back then. Okay. It wasn't even considered a city back then. It was like a big town. It was literally a college town, happened to be the state capital. But that was one of the weird things about Austin. It had this, like, you knew it was important. And and historic, and yet nothing really, you know, um, nothing really exemplified that. It was uh, mellow. It was, you know, not even a lot of sidewalks anywhere, you know? It was mm. just like these parks were kind of roughshod, and the buildings were dirty and older, and our courthouse is still built in 1920 or something like that, you know, and it's just not, it was really mellow and everybody knew everyone. Hmm. And yet here's the thing about Austin during that time, you could go out any night, especially weeknights. And this is the weird part. You could see really big acts who were on tour during that time because, you know, it's sort of their off night. They're going to, a smaller market, and they're going to do those smaller markets during the week because then they're going to go to Dallas on the weekend or they're going to hit L.A. for the weekend. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, We saw a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff that was up and coming because it was a very vibrant club scene. Now, I want to also, you know, let's also talk about, you know, music is a big thing, and music that was really cutting edge and popular back then is not the music that's, cutting edge and popular now in any sense of the word. They're talking about bands that were basically 
you know, like the replacements, a post-punk rock and roll kind of thing, underground rock, there was metal, there was, you know, what they call alternative rock or modern rock at the time. Mm -hmm. Bands like the Breeders would come by, you know, or Blur or Oasis would play a place where 900 people fit in it. Wow. And, you know, it was really vibrant that way. Plus, we had South by Southwest every Uh year, which really started back in 1987, okay? So by the time 1995, 96, it was in a pretty good stride, and bands were submitting from all over the world, and you just run around for a week and go see 20 bands, literally, you know, during that week. And if you're from Austin, you happen to be doing pretty good you got a lot of people from all over the country seeing you play. Mm. And that helped us a great deal. We got to be on bills with bands like Sonic Youth, you know, who were huge back then. And, you know, for us to be on the same stage, you know, and our partners, we had a lot of friends, too, in the scene in Austin. Great band called Spoon, which still does good today. They were our, you know, buddies, literally played Tons of shows with them in small bars here in Austin. I, I've got a follow-up spoon question for you, just since you, okay. you handed them. So um, I want to jump to your solo project because Britt Daniel, who I love, he wrote Fr- uh, Free World on there with you, right? On your My Favorite Year album? He did. Thank- yeah, wow. I can't uh, can't believe that you got that detailed. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I, I And Matt Hubbard and Willie Nelson play on there, too. I thought I really thought when I saw that track or heard that track – I thought Free World would be my favorite track, but I'll tell you, my favorite track on there is Forever Girl because everybody needs a good ooh song. A good Everybody needs a good <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh song in their repertoire. Okay, cool. I'm glad you like it. <laughs> oh, I love it. Podcast. You know, I study music, and I, I've been playing classical piano since I was young, and that's where my music comes from, and that's why you hear different styles. It's basically I'm getting ideas from my own brain that are, you know, there's melodies in there that are chiming around. And I just happened to have written a song recently, just the other day. And it's based on a handle. Uh, you know, it's just a little, <laughs> it's a little bit, it's that, it goes, da, 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 right. It's yeah. like this, I think it's a, it's like a gavotte or something like that, or a bourree. Wow. You're getting um, deep with the terminology. I know, man. Which I love. That really appeals to my <laughs> music nerdiness. I really love that. And I think that's... Just so you know, yeah. I mean, that's, that's... It's where I'm coming from. And a lot of people don't have that background that are in rock and roll these days. Um, yeah. So that's where I'm coming from. And I, it's not exactly where Miles is coming from. But I think that a lot of our thing has rubbed off on each other. Mm. That makes so you guys a good team. We, yeah she's from him i learned um about concise um and simplify and get things to a place where you know where they don't lose the listener's interest yeah because if you give me free reign i'm probably gonna you know go into multiple movements and different parts (laughs) and rhythmic changes and you know, but uh, for our band, and we're actually, you know, we've begun doing that stuff a few years back with, um, you know, trying to segue songs together in a live set. 
so you got to figure out what what fits next, you know, and yeah. that sequencing, like we were talking about with the albums, you know, how do you make that work in a live sense? And unfortunately, we have been given this, you know, sort of indefinite break. Um, but we're, you know, we're conceptualizing and trying to figure out new ways to make our music. We, you, you, I've been talking to Miles on a regular basis, and we do some things together. You hinted like about how different your sounds can be, and I think that's just as prevalent. Like even when you go from all the pain that money can buy into your third album, the harsh light of day, it's so different. It sounds a lot more produced, and it just sounds like it's very different. And it shows how strong you can be on both sides. We, me, mm-hmm. my favorite track on that's obviously "You're an Ocean." And me and Rob were actually singing Tony Scalzo to the tune of You're an Ocean. We were like, Tony Scalzo, because we knew we were having you on. Nerds. Nerds. You're such nerds. You have no idea. I'll follow it up with a nerd question. So that song was on Charmed. Um, did you get yeah. to, did you get to meet any of the big three from Charmed? Either Shannon Doherty, I will tell you. Holly I Mary will Combs, tell Lisa you. Milano? You just what you want to know. Yes. Here's what happened. Okay. Imagine if you will getting picked up a band. You're with your band. You're getting picked up at your hotel in Los Angeles at five o'clock in the morning. Too early. And you, <laughs> I think we were partying pretty hard the night before. But <laughs> five o'clock in the morning. We get picked up, we get taken out to, you know, out there in outskirts of L.A., you know, even beyond the San Fernando Valley, they have these giant sound stages, right? Well, they're like big warehouses, like 80,000 square feet, right? And you go in, and it's all divided up in sets. And we discovered, well, this whole building is dedicated to Charmed. It's okay. their home. Yeah. It's the home of Charmed. And this is 1999, right? 98 or 99, 2000, I guess. So it's 2000, so they're already a successful show. And the first person we meet, she gets out of her car with a giant dog, is Shannon Doherty. That's awesome. That's and so she's cool. like, hi, guys. Hey, I'm making a Starbucks run. Does anybody want anything? <laughs> and the answer is came yes. back with all these snacks <laughs> and all this great stuff and all our orders and she did it and then i guess we didn't really see her for the rest of that thing until they were doing one little scene where we're playing in the background so we can't really see them except for the corner of the room they've got a little away space and we're not really playing we're Air banding. I think we're listening <laughs> to the music, but we're yeah we're air performing, <clears throat> and we know that there's a scene before us because they're sitting around together, the three girls, and then we're, they're like pointing at us, and then we do our thing and we pretend to play, and then there's this <laughs> crowd. But you know, on TV when a band's playing, you can always hear people's footsteps and stuff like that, right? And, and then the conversation bell, you know, that's not real life. That's not the way. It's always too loud to yeah. hear, hear anything. anything but the yeah. music. Mm-hmm. So, well, that was a real fun thing. And we were moving so fast right about then that we didn't know. We didn't really think about how this was going to be seen, you know, in infinity, <laughs> you know, for the rest of time yeah. on syndicated TV. <laughs> so it's kind of kind of interesting that's so it's cool. a fun thing to look at i've seen it a couple of times but i've never 
It's usually someone calls me and they go, I just saw you on tour. That's so cool. <laughs> Why didn't you do that? <laughs> that's, that's, like, I don't know. That was <laughs> I great. I don't remember. Shannon, <laughs> Shannon Doherty brought us snacks. It was awesome. Podcast. Um, were you surprised by the Grammy nomination for the They Wanted the Highway, the long-form video? Was that Did that catch you off guard, that phone call? Hey, by the way, this like sort of EPK video that you've put together is nominated for a Grammy? Well, I mean, it kind of paled to having the actual song be nominated for the, you know. Right. The, the way it was nominated for a Grammy. So, I mean, that was just an extra treat to have another sort of associated thing be nominated for a Grammy. Um, I think that's a really well-made uh, EPK. That's all it is, too. I mean, it wasn't really a documentary or what, whatever they call short-form video. That's a weird category, isn't it? Right. Yeah. I don't even know That's if strange. they even have it still. Yeah, it's very strange. I, I watched it in in, uh, in doing some research, and and you know, I thought it was really, really cool and really enjoyable. I was just a little. I don't know. I don't know what the obviously. I'm not on the Grammy like committee, so I don't know what the qualifications for. I was just a little surprised. Like, of course, the song was huge. The song blew up, and the song was everywhere. So, like that to me was less of a surprise than than yeah, the video. That's how I see it. That's how I see it. I I didn't even know about it until the day of the Grammys, which we went to, which was really fun, even though we didn't have enough seats for all of us and our wives and everything. Nice. So we kind of had to split it up. Oh, so there was a, a lot of hanging at outside. It was actually fun. Uh, I was hanging out with garbage. Oh, nice. cool. That's in the awesome. bar. I mean, we were hanging out like old chums. It was the best. And they were super cool. And we just, you know, drank at the bar with them and went in and saw Madonna's thing. And I did see the Ricky Martin thing. If you guys recall that, this was an insane Grammys. I mean, it was really fun. Uh, we didn't really see the whole thing, but we sure had a good time. <laughs> you're uh, you're one of the first artists that we've talked to. I think that was at the Horde Festival, the H O R D E for those of y'all that can't hear as well. The Horizons of <laughs> we, Rock developing it was a tour. Everywhere. Yeah, the Actually, tour. It was a tour that went to all different cities. So we were on the Horde tour, the very final Horde tour. By the way, this was a tour that was basically. Um, uh, curated by John Popper yep. from Blues Traveler. Okay, so he would basically deem who was horde worthy or whatever. And our particular horde tour was fantastic. We had Ben Harper, we had uh, the Bare Naked Ladies, um, this band called Robert Bradley's Blackwater Surprise. Do you remember these guys from I don't, Detroit? I don't know them. I don't know no. them. Uh-uh. Check check them out. They had a dude in their band named Robert Bradley who was just uh, singing <clears throat> on the street in downtown Detroit near these guys' uh, studio. And they pulled him in. They started working with him and started making... And he, he's uh, sightless, too. Blind dude. And... They took him out on the road and had like they had one little hit on the on the radio, but uh, they were one of the best for us. We'll have to check friends. them out. I'll have to they check them out. Let's check them out. Yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. Have to do a deep dive on them. Robert um, Bradley's Blackwater Surprise. 
where do you fall with regards to people? And I'm especially, I'm especially uh, interested to know this now that I sort of kind of know your perspective a little more. Where do you fall with regards to people still wanting to hear and talk about songs like The Way 20 plus years down the road? Does it annoy you or flatter you or something kind of else? Um, I wouldn't say, I don't get flattered. I don't really feel flattered. Um, if I do, I just kind of like, you know, let's move on. Right. <laughs> but, um, frankly, I thought that this was going to be just talking about the way. So I kind of girded myself for that. Um, and I wouldn't get too upset about it if it happens. I appreciate that people want to know and it's going to, you know, go out somewhere and, you know, whatever, help in some way. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt, but I'm very happy that it turned out to be a, a discussion about a lot of different things. And I appreciate you guys for doing your research and knowing a little something about our band and, um, and about my solo career too. Oh, uh, dude, Great. you're, you're a rock star. We've, we've totally, <laughs> I've enjoyed going, I've got other stuff, but I didn't want to, uh, over, overwhelm you. I, yeah. I really am a fan of your new project. I love the help machine. Yeah. My favorite song on there is friend or foe. I think it's so good. Um, so thank I, you. I'd say those of y'all out there that aren't, uh, as aware of other fastball stuff or even Tony Scalzo's solo stuff, pick it up. It's yeah. great. Yeah. So we'll tell the listeners. Oh, we also just we just released a brand new video for the song White Collar. You check it out on our YouTube. That's Paul the Band. YouTube dot com slash fastball the band. There you go. And it just came out two weeks ago. And we did it. I I I produced it with a friend, a director named Alex Chod, and he. And I decided to make a video with action figures. Oh, yes. That's awesome. Okay. So, and we did have to do it, you know, social distanced. And I had my son, my eight-year-old son, Henry, I got him set up with my camera. And we got a green screen. And I did a... um, I did a little shot. You'll see it. He's the one who uploaded it, so... And That's cool. it turned out really great. We'll, we'll definitely so check, check it out. out if you get a chance. Yeah, we'll link to it as, as we... Can I ask you a 30-second question and we'll let you bounce? Okay, sure. You're on tour. You run to a gas station. What is your gas station snack food of choice? We ask everybody that. I get a Three Musketeers okay. bar. What do you grab? Uh, trail mix with some M&M's in it. There we go. Okay, right. solid choice. Thank you, Tony, <laughs> so much. We appreciate your time. You've, yeah. been, you've been awesome. We'll yeah. catch you soon. And okay, we'll... you guys take care. I really enjoyed it. Thank, Thank you, you so much, man. Have a great one. This is the Great Song Podcast. Tony Scalzo. Tony Scalzo. Man, that was fun. Yeah. Was I like that guy. I like that guy. I wasn't sure he liked us at first. At first, yeah. It was like... But I feel like we got to we him. Got, we got... We, Broke through, had yeah. a good time, super sharp guy, a lot of fun. Yeah. We're buds now. Occasionally, we get into an interview and we go, I don't know how this is going to go. Uh, and nine times out of ten, we are able to Flip find, it. find some common ground yeah. and, and make sure that everybody's on the same page. We're all cool with each other, you know. Um, and uh, I feel like that was one of those. Yeah. I feel like he maybe wasn't sure about us, you know, but we eventually, we, we warmed his heart. We got him, <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah. Love this stuff. Can't believe we get to get to do this. Uh, can't believe I get to do this with JP. Man. And, uh, Happy 90s month, everybody. Yeah. Oh, and we're just getting started. This is episode two, two. of 90s month. Yeah. So we got two a lot five. more. Got a lot more 90s coming at you. Man. It's, it's really fortuitous that we picked this March to do 90s month because it's got five episodes in it. Five so, chances. Yeah. It's 
Gonna be gonna be good times. March madness indeed. <laughs> Make sure and join us again next week where we'll be covering another great song. Until then, I'm Rob. I am JP. Go listen to some music.